0: Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to episode 182. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Sometimes, the good guys and gals win... Sometimes, the bad guys lose. This is one of those times. And even in those times, it's a time to stay vigilant.
1: On this vote, the yeas are 86, the nays are 11. Under the previous order requiring 60 votes for the adoption of this motion to concur, the motion is agreed to.
0: Yes. Yes. Sometimes the good guys and gals do win. And this week, the good guys and gals won in Washington. Final vote on the PACT Act for veterans, 86 to 11, with three senators not voting due to COVID and illness. But it was a victory, an 86 to 11 victory. Finally, the PACT Act for veterans suffering from toxin exposures has passed. The good guys and gals win. Veterans win. America wins. Hacks, partisans, and jerks lose. And soon, the bill will be signed by the president at the White House. It looks like Monday is going to be the day. But it was a victory. Finally, a victory. Finally, good news out of Washington. The PACT Act for Veterans has passed. It's nice to wake up in America today to headlines about a victory and some good news, and to know that help is finally on the way. This has taken almost two decades, and it never should have taken this long. It never should have been this hard. And it won't bring back so many of our friends that have already died from toxin exposures. But it will help save lives. It will matter. It'll provide urgent support to thousands who are sick and millions who could be sick in the decades to come, including me and just about every man and woman I served with in the Army. And in the end, the difficulty of the fight, and especially the block by Senator Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania, brought the attention and support of most of America. And that attention will remain long after this vote. Attention that Vietnam vets never got soon enough. And our movement showed America what is still possible if active citizens unite, organize, sacrifice, and focus on the greater good. Together, from all backgrounds, united as Americans, united as one. It was a true team effort. From the veteran service organizations, to the activists, to the elected officials, to the celebrities, to the allies in the media, to the president, to good, concerned people nationwide. But most of the credit should go to the activists. They kept it going. They kept the flame. And they got it done. And this one is for Heath Robinson, who the bill is named after. And for Steve Robinson, my mentor and friend. And for Mike Zakia, another mentor and friend. And for Bo Biden, the president's son. And for countless others who we will never forget. There's a lot of work left ahead. But today is a day to celebrate the victory and to celebrate the helpers. But as we do, it is also and always a time to stay vigilant and to recognize a very different very special group of people and to make note of those who when the time came stood against the side of good stood against veterans dying of cancer stood against the side of history stood against common sense and decency and on this show as we always do we will name their names we will Make them famous. Eleven of them. The newest dirty eleven. Eleven United States senators who put themselves, their special interests, their agenda, their fuckery ahead of veterans. Ahead of America. Ahead of you. And here they are. Mike Crapo, Republican from Indiana. James Lankford, Republican from Oklahoma. Mike Lee. Republican from Utah. Cynthia Loomis, Republican from Wyoming. Rand Paul, Republican asshole from Kentucky. James Risch, Republican from Idaho. Mitt Romney, Republican from Utah. Richard Shelby, Republican from Alabama. Tom Tillis, Republican from North Carolina. Tommy Tuberville, Republican from Alabama. And the ringleader of all of it, Republican Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania. These are the 11 shameful no votes on the PACT Act for veterans. That's both senators from Idaho. That's both senators from Utah. That's both senators from Alabama. Idaho, Utah, Alabama. What the fuck? But these are the 11 shameful no votes on the PACT Act for veterans. So in this episode, it's going to be a group award. It's going to go to all 11 of them. All 11 who should be tasked with cleaning bedpans at VA hospitals for the rest of their lives. 11 who can never again say they support the troops. 11 whose names should be posted in shame above every VFW hall bar in America. This one goes out to them. Hit it, Bill. I try- 11 senators should all feel shame forever. Let them try to spin it back home. Let them try to defend it in the next election. Let them try to lie about why they did it. But don't let them hide. Hold them accountable. And do it now. This is already a winning issue for independent candidate for Senate Evan McMullen, who joined us on this show back in episode 168 a couple of months ago. If you didn't hear it, McMullen is running against Senator Mike Lee in Utah, and Lee is one of those 11 who voted no. And Evan McMullen wasted no time hitting him on Twitter. He said Mike Lee voted no on bipartisan legislation today to help veterans exposed to toxic burn pits. When politicians send our heroes to war, they make a commitment to stand with them when they bear the wounds. You don't balance the budget on the backs of our veterans. He's right. And if I were Evan McMullen, I'd be teeing up a mountain of attack ads on this shameful PAC Act no vote by Lee. It will move voters, especially veterans, 49% of which are independents. Because veterans will never forget. History will never forget. And voters should never forget. But I worry they will. Because America is quick to fight. And also quick to forget. If they didn't forget, then why did it take so long? Why did we have to fight so hard? Why did we have to bring in Jon Stewart and shame them on national TV? Because they do forget, especially in the Senate. They always forget. And they'll forget this too. And they'll hope you'll forget in November or whenever they run for reelection next. That's what they always do. And one year after the debacle of a pullout in Afghanistan, and just one month before another anniversary of 9-11 in September, do they really never forget? It sure looks like most in the Senate, and most in America, frankly, have forgotten about Afghanistan. One year ago, it was on every TV screen. It was on the top of every newspaper. But one year later, it's forgotten. Except to those who stay vigilant. Which includes you, and thankfully includes our CIA and our military, and credit where credit is due, our Commander in Chief. My fellow Americans, on Saturday, at my direction, the United States successfully concluded an airstrike in Kabul, Afghanistan, that killed the Emir of Al Qaeda, Ayman al Zawiri. You know, Zawiri was uh, bin Laden's leader. He was with him all the, the whole time. He was his number two man his deputy at the time the terrorist attacked 9-11. He was deeply involved in the planning of 9-11. One of the most responsible for the attacks that murdered 2,977 people on American soil. Al-Zawahiri is dead. And as a 9-11 first responder myself, this is good news to hear. America, Afghanistan, the world are safer for it. It doesn't give us any closure, but it's good to know that our president, our intelligence community, and our military are keeping up the fight that they never forget, even when most Americans have. Hopefully, this news can bring some badly needed attention back to the people of Afghanistan who continue to suffer and die under Taliban rule. And especially, attention to our brave Afghan allies who have been left to die. The fight to save our allies is as urgent now as it was one year ago. We're going to talk much more about that with our guests coming up. But if America truly does never forget, that also means honoring all those who have fought and sacrificed on and since 9-11. And that meant voting for the PAC Act which will now support millions who have answered the call after 9-11. And some, like me, who served at Ground Zero on 9-11 and overseas. This vote was a time for every United States senator to show us whether or not they really never forget. And this summer and this year is a time for every senator to show us whether or not they really never forget. And it's a time for all Americans to make sure they don't. That they never forget. And that they stay vigilant. And that means holding them accountable. Because even though we won this week, stakes are still as high as ever before.
1: stakes is high. High. You know them, stakes is high. high.
0: But the wind is at our back right now. And we got to use this momentum from the PAC Act to fuel the important fights that are still ahead. Momentum after the Zadroga 9-11 bill is what led to the PAC Act. We went from one right into the next. And we got to use this momentum now to propel things like the VA motto change, support for women vets, the Afghan Adjustment Act, pushing back after Roe, and other important urgent priorities the momentum we saw was united. It was nonpartisan. It was true. It was the opposite of the January 6th insurrection. And it was independent. It's what a truly politically independent movement can and should look like. And it shouldn't look like many of those other supposedly independent-focused efforts that are underway now in politics. Because if Senator Pat Toomey and other senators blocking a vote for veterans wasn't frustrating enough, Andrew Yang has another new thing. Yep, Andrew Yang announced that his forward party is merging with a coalition of Republicans, Democrats, and independents as a part of an effort to give Americans an alternative to the two major parties. It's chaired by Yang and Christy Todd Whitman, the former Republican governor of New Jersey, And a guest on this show back in episode 79, a person I hope will come back on this show again soon. But the forward party is connecting with the Renew America movement and the Serve America movement to form this new independent party. Now, the Renew America movement was created by a bunch of former officials in previous Republican administrations and is led by former White House official Miles Taylor who I coincidentally appeared with on MSNBC last week on Deadline White House with Nicole Wallace to talk about the PAC Act. But it's the Renew America Movement and the Serve America Movement, which is another political organization that's supposed to be nonpartisan, founded by former Republican David Jolly of Florida. Now, they say they have a few million dollars in the bank and they're shooting to unite independents nationwide. But they're not really independents. And they definitely don't really understand independence. Now, I've invited Andrew Yang to be on the show for going on two years, and the invite is open. I hope he will join us one day soon. I think we have some things in common. We both agree on the potential and the importance of independence, but we disagree dramatically on the path forward. Most of the assessments out there understand the problems with our political system and the opportunity presented by the growing number and influence of independents. Yang is included in that group. But they get the solution wrong. Most independents don't want another party. They want no party. And they definitely don't want a party led by a self-appointed person who ran as a Democrat for president and only left that party 10 months ago. And a party that could potentially spoil key elections like the 2024 presidential. Independents need a new political system. So do all Americans. And independents need a new movement. And that movement has to be built from the ground up. We've talked about it on this show many times, with John Updike of Open Primaries, with Adam Kinzinger, who might run as an independent for president, and with powerful, politically homeless leaders like Admiral James Stravides. And we'll dig deeper into this topic and into the solutions in the episodes to come. Because this is the time. This is the time for the creation of a disruptive, leading, independent political movement and momentum behind a new movement of independence in America. But independence doesn't mean the middle. It means none of the above. We are guided by the spirit of the founding fathers with a clear vision for a better future. And our guiding leader is not Andrew Yang. It's George Washington, the last president who didn't have a party. Independence can be at the core of driving overdue, transformative change to our political system that benefits all Americans. But it's much bigger than just a new political party. It's about a new movement. And you're already part of it, especially if you stay vigilant. So there's a lot of new independent stuff out there. Inflation is still rising. The war in Ukraine rages on. But the Senate has now voted to support adding Finland and Sweden to NATO. 95 to 1 was the vote, with one senator voting present. Guess who that no vote was? Josh Hawley, hack and insurrection supporter from Missouri. And Putin thanks him for his support. And there was one senator who voted present. Guess who that was? Rand Paul from Kentucky. Rand Paul, being Rand Paul, voted present, which is the weakest shit ever, per usual. Rand Paul, embarrassing America and helping our enemies since 2011. Yeah, our enemies are celebrating. China is threatening Taiwan, which could be Ukraine 2.0. Shootings continue to happen almost hourly in America. The January 6 hearings continue to unfold. Primary elections chug along, excluding independents, almost every Tuesday. And COVID, monkeypox, and all kinds of other crazy stuff continues to infect people. But nothing is more insidious. Nothing is more infectious. Nothing is more contagious. Nothing is more deadly than the stupid. (laughs) And the stupid continues to infect the Senate like a dastardly political mix of COVID, monkeypox, herpes, and cooties, spread most often by the super spreaders of the stupid, like Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and Pat Toomey. But everywhere you see the stupid, and everywhere you see chaos, everywhere you see pain, everywhere you see need, you also see the helpers. And boy, did we see them this week. From Susan's era, the mother, of Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, the man that the PAC Act was named after, to our friend from the last episode of this show, Montana Senator John Tester, to, of course, the person lots of folks would like to see run for president now, John Stewart, to past guests of this show who stood firewatch outside on the steps of the Capitol, like Charlotte Clymer, Kristen Rouse, Wes Moore, and Lindsey Church. They were all there outside the Capitol standing watch with the firewatch. And there were others connected to this show who supported the effort online, like Jake Wood of Team Rubicon, Paul Begala, political strategist, actor and activist Adrian Moyed and sports anchor and activist Joy Taylor. All of them got involved. So thanks to all of them and to you and to countless others around the country and around the world. Today, we are victorious. I paid my dues. Time after time. I've done my sentence, but committed no crime. The helpers stepped in when others would not, and the helpers made us champions this week. Helpers continue to answer the call in all kinds of ways, including our guest in this episode. A guy who's been so much of a helper that he should permanently dress up like Mr. Rogers for Halloween. He's a helper among helpers, a guy who was truly instrumental in the passage of the PAC Act, a true champion. The fight is long, the fight is hard, the fight is never easy, but the fights that are most important are the ones we can't lose. And that's why the fight requires warriors, warriors for truth and good, who are champions for the little guys, and for all of us. And these fights are not physical. They're almost entirely mental. The tests that they face are not a measure of physical might, but mental, spiritual, emotional fortitude. And our guest in this episode is up for the fight. And for the first time in a long while, we're happy to say that our guest helped us all to win that fight. He stood up to Senator Pat Toomey and other Senate cronies that stood in the way of the PAC act. He united the troops. He rallied an unstoppable force of veterans and ultimately emerged triumphant. He is a true leader and one we are proud to call a friend of this show. He's a humanitarian, an activist, and a badass superhero. Our friend, the heroic, inspiring Matt Zeller. Matt's always been a champion, and today, he's also victorious. Matt's the leading voice on the issue of American allies in Afghanistan. He's a combat vet and an army major that made it out of Afghanistan alive only because of the courage of his Afghan interpreter. And he's been paying it forward ever since. He's the co-founder of No One Left Behind. He's a Truman National Security Fellow. He's the author of Watches Without Time, An American Soldier in Afghanistan and he's the newest member of the powerhouse team at Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, serving as senior advisor. He joined us on this show back in episode 138 and episode 127 to sound the alarm about the imminent collapse of Afghanistan and the chaos that could and would unfold. And now he's back to break down the fight for the PACT Act. He was part of the fire watch. He was pressuring senators to face the truth and serving as America's conscience for ourselves and the rest of the world he was on countless tv and radio shows he was live tweeting throughout the fire watch at night and in the rain and somehow he's still standing still fighting and he's back and this time he is victorious we- Matt's going to take us inside the historic pac victory for vets. He's going to share what it was like to roll around D.C. with Jon Stewart, what it was like to be in the Senate chamber when the vote happened, and what it was like to sleep with the fire watch on the Capitol steps. He'll show us how the fire watch was truly the opposite of January 6th. And one year after joining us on the show, Matt will talk to us about the Afghanistan pullout and the news that Al Zawahiri is dead. And we'll talk about if one year later and one month before 9 11, Afghanistan has become forgotten. But more than anything else, Matt will give you hope for America. He'll show you what is possible and he'll show you how champions are made.
1: We are the champions, my
0: Welcome to a conversation about winning about what it takes to win, in Washington, in America, in life. Welcome to an episode exploring how hope can still fuel democracy and victory. Welcome to a rare chance to take a victory lap, because today we are all champions, except for Senator Pat Toomey, he's still a loser. But the rest of us, at least now, are champions, because America got a victory. And the good guys and gals won. Welcome to an exploration of victory. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 182. Ladies and gentlemen, independent Americans around the country and around the world, and especially to all the veterans, veterans, allies, military families. We have a very appropriate, very important, very celebratory guest joining us this episode. We have very good news on the PAC Act. We have a lot to talk about on one year after Afghanistan. But first, we are going to celebrate and bring back a returning champion, our friend, a truly great independent American, Matt Zeller is back on the show. Welcome back to Independent Americans, Matt Thanks for having me, Paul. Glad to be here. So big night, big yeah. night. Yeah we are we did it. We are uh, recording this on Wednesday. Uh, last night, the Pact Act passed. Um, I'm so grateful that you're here. You've been instrumental. I want to go inside of it. I want to hear John Stewart's stories. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to talk about what's next. Um, but first off, congratulations, man. Congratulations to you and, and the whole team on a historic victory.
1: Brother, congratulations. goes back to you. I you know, it was interesting. Just this morning, I I I was I woke up and I was, you know, I picked up my phone instinctively to just kind of check what messages I had missed. And Um, some of the folks from the IAVA team had dug up uh, photos of the very first Facebook live that anyone had ever done on burn pits, you know, going back years ago now. And Tom Porter, who's IAVA's, you know, senior policy guy and head of the Washington DC office, uh, you know, said (laughs) a couple of years ago, Paul suggested that we go to the Capitol and do a Facebook live, you know, conference that it was just us no one else came to and they have a picture of it right you contrast that photo with the absolute just media circus that was there to greet this thing when we finally got over the finish line and so brother that the congratulations is to everybody it's to you right it's to everyone who saw this as an issue years ago before people realized that it was as important as it needed to be. And you know, so brother, I just can't thank you enough for having the foresight and the determination to make sure that the Congress was gonna pay attention to this and to, to kick in the whole thing off. Well,
0: this has been a long time coming. This was a long-term strategy that we developed over 15 years ago. I mean, we started thinking about and strategizing around this when Steve Robinson, one of my mentors who founded the National Gulf War Resource Center, Talked to me about Gulf War illness. Yeah. And he said, This is going to happen to you guys. It happens every generation. So we laid the groundwork very early. And that press conference you talked about had four people. Yesterday, there was like 400. Um, but it started even much earlier than that. I remember when we first put it in the IAVA policy agenda, when I first testified on it. I think it might have been 15 years ago, Matt. It was, it was a long time ago, and I had to go on and explain what a burn pit was, and it took us a long time to get there. I want to get into the strategy. I want to get into the play-by-play, but I want to also ask you, you know, it's the day after. Uh, Senator Gillibrand took you all out uh, for food and, and drink last night. I know what those celebrations are like. I'm bummed I couldn't be there but where are you and how are you feeling today
1: well for the first time i I think in about a week i'm actually in my house uh (laughs) with a shower (laughs) and uh, a clean change of clothing uh not you know in day old whatever with the grime of dc and the summer all over me uh yeah the celebration last night was one for the ages uh i've never seen a, a united states senator Uh, serve tables left and right, but she was insistent that she was going to personally serve every single veteran who stood fire watch dinner last night and not just like bring them their meal and be like, Hey, I hope you like it. Sit there and talk with them. Thank them for their tireless advocacy and efforts. Um, So I'm, I'm at home. uh, I'm reflecting on it. it, it, Paul, I gotta tell you, I keep asking people did did that just happen?" It Mm. feels surreal In a way, you know, we a week ago right now because we're recording on this on Wednesday. I I recall this exactly. My mind was knee deep in. All right. I got a bunch of Afghan Adjustment Act stuff I got to worry on. It's about to be the one year anniversary of the Afghan Evac. And I was also thinking, yeah, there's a vote later this afternoon on the PACT Act in the Senate. Uh, And, you know, it's already passed before. This is just another thing we got to do because there was a, the house added a sentence when they voted on it, this shouldn't be an issue. And then I remember sitting there watching the vote going this isn't, this isn't going, you know, there were only 14, no votes. The last time, once we hit 15, I was, what's going on here? 16, 17 by 30. I'm thinking this thing might not actually make it over the line. And that just, when it failed, you know, that the, I I can't tell you the sort of the low that everybody hit there. Right. I mean, Senator Tester talked about it yesterday. He he came to visit us at the Firewatch and he was he was telling us about he's had low moments in his life. But he said that was amongst the lowest. And, uh, you know, longtime IAVA member, one point staff member, um, Jen Birch, who has been just a phenomenal advocate uh, for this issue, i um, told him at that moment, Senator, we've been in tougher fights, you know, and that kind of was what kicked the whole thing off of, you know, we've been in tougher fights. All right. We'll just take it to the next level. We're not going to go home. We'll post a fire watch.
0: Yeah. And and folks were galvanized by it around the world. Right. This uh, this image of, of you and others sleeping on the steps of the Senate, you know, the night before the vote, there was a rainstorm. It was hot as hell. And it became, I, I said this with Nicole Wallace on MSNBC, it became kind of like the Cindy Sheehan moment. Her son was killed in Iraq and then she protested yeah. outside of George Bush's ranch and every it became a media circus and everybody came to pay their respects or to see what was going on, to see how the showdown was going to shake up, right? And it's a very powerful organizing tool. So as soon as you know it started to come together, I think we all realized we had to lean into this mm-hmm. and and elevate it as much as possible. But I also got to tell you, man, I'm one of the few who was not surprised by the vote. Like, we've been here before also, and this is exactly what Tom Coburn did when we had the Clay Hunt bill on the five-yard line right before Christmas. His mother was on CNN, and Coburn came in and blocked it. And it actually, I think, does us a favor. Like, if not for that block by Toomey and the shenanigans and fuckery that he and really he led and a couple others joined, we wouldn't have gotten this level of attention. We wouldn't have had outrage from the country. We wouldn't have now all this level of understanding and all this momentum going into other stuff. And, of course, we got to recognize Jon Stewart, who I hope will come on the show soon. He's done every show in America, including, um, you know, Newsmax. And he still hasn't been on with us, but I'm going to give him a pass because I think he was just incredible. Can you talk about... Him, oh. um, because I think he is like a strategic weapon, and and the likes of which we've really never seen in the modern political environment. Because he gets wins, right? Zadroga one, Zadroga two, now this, and we know if you deploy John Stewart, it changes the battlefield. So, can you take us inside that? Rob, Sarah took us inside during the nine eleven fight, right. but what was it like to be around John? And when you actually take us through the moment where you walked into into the the Senate because you got invited to go inside. And I said it was like the opposite of January 6th. It's how you legally, appropriately, patriotically go inside the Capitol. And that's what we saw. But take us through that and those moments with Jon Stewart and the circus that surrounded him.
1: Sure. So I. You know the the firewatch started last Thursday, uh, and the people who kicked it off were Rosie Torres, right? You know the 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 wife uh, of an uh, injured army soldier who actually couldn't be there because of his injuries. Uh, uh, he was back in Texas. She was like, "No, we're just not going to leave uh, the Senate steps." So John, you know, John's like a tactical nuclear weapon, right? Like he's a complete. You deploy him, and the battle completely changes. And John is best deployed when he can get on television and, and, and be John, right? So while we were doing our part on the Firewatch, he was doing his part on the weekend, getting on every single show, picking a fight with Senators Toomey and Cruz and just taking it to him. But he felt he had to be there in person. So he came down on Monday. And, you know, some celebrities, when they, name, when they lend their, their name and their persona to a cause, will do only that. Right. They'll cut a TV ad or something. They'll do a couple of photos, write, you know, uh, write a check or two, and that'll be it. John came and showed up at nine, 10 o'clock in the morning on Monday and didn't go home until about nine or 10 o'clock in the evening and was there on he wasn't just there on firewatch. He would go into the Senate offices to try to meet with senators one-on-one. If he saw a senator walking down the street, he would immediately go after them and try to talk to them. And he understands that anything he does, there's a camera crew that's always, even it's not from his show. It's always a media frenzy that are just going to follow him. So the next thing what we realized was, is like, well, John, doesn't want the story to be about John. He wants it to be about us. So John then made a really effective use of just grabbing people left and right. And so it became this collective effort. Make sure John knows when there's like a really interesting, uh, um, you know, veteran who's who's just shown up or a family who's lost someone so that he can pull them into a media interview right then and there and continue to perpetuate the narrative and propel it forward. So he, he um, you know, at one point, uh, uh, this Republican neo-Nazi agitator, Jack, I don't know how to say his last name, showed up and and got right in John's face. And I, this guy learned a real valuable lesson real quick because it was only about five seconds after John started yelling him that every single veteran there, about 100 people, just surrounded John, got John out of the way, and then surrounded that guy. And basically said dude you you can't be here doing this to 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 our our advocate our ally our brother john this isn't the right place at the right time uh you know he just brings the thunder in everything like, <laughs> he 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 is uh, on point on message constantly he, he's got this brilliant comedic mind too so this is a hard issue a lot of people there you know when you've been outside in 98 degree heat with like hundred percent humidity it's taxing so he's constantly joking you know and and trying to keep the mood light but let me let me take you to to yesterday because yesterday was the big day we um he basically said look if if we don't get this done today we're going to really start putting pressure on schumer because now you all shouldn't have to be out here any longer and so Over the weekend, it was interesting. We kept getting pushed. We had started on the steps. And then on Monday, we got pushed off the steps. And we got pushed basically to the lawn that's directly across from the Capitol. And then with an hour of being pushed that lawn, we got pushed over to where we ended up, which was basically on a side lawn where you really kind of couldn't see us. And we had to make an effort to be known. John went to back with us with Senators Tester and Schumer and was able to get permission to have us Come into the gallery to observe the final vote. And what we learned was that we were the first people allowed to observe of any procedures in the Senate since COVID. Um, mm-hmm. it was the first time that they've allowed us to do that. Wow. So they they walk us and, in and, and since and since January 6th. Yes. So they walk us into yeah. the um, to the into the 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 where you line up to get in the Senate. And you know, they immediately go to John and they say, you know, you can go in first. And he goes, uh-uh they all go in before me and he would not enter until every single veteran and person who stood fire watch was allowed to go in because he wanted to make sure they got to see it, not him. So they see, they see this in the gal, the gallery. And I, uh, you know, he was, they, he was with one set of people, mostly um, he's, he's filming a whole episode for his the problem with John Stewart around this. So there's a lot of his production people, and because they went in last, they put them in a separate gallery. So we all kind of joked what it must've been like to sit there and have him kind of narrate the experience. Right. But where I'm almost kind of glad he wasn't with us because where we were, they're just you You kind of just sat there and we're just, no one said anything. We were just all taking it in. Uh, and Paul, I got to tell you, there's I'm going to get into probably emotional talking about this next because this is going to be. A, this is a moment that'll stay with me for the rest of my life. So, I've watched a lot of Senate votes before, and when the Senate normally votes, there's almost no one in the chamber. Somebody motions. Someone's there to second the motion, and they call for the the, the, the vote. And then one by one, senators will come to the floor and vote, and then leave. And there's you know, it's not like the scene out of Mister Smith Goes to Washington, where it's this great deliberative body, right? It, they're almost never there as a full body itself. So they had had three amendments that had been brought in to vote on that all were Republican sponsored and and died uh, the deaths that they should have. But then it came time to finally vote on this whole thing. And Senator Moran, as the ranking member on the Veterans Affairs Committee, got to give a quick speech, urging folks to vote for it. Then Senator Tester, as the chairman of the Veterans Affairs Committee, got to make a quick speech, same thing. And then finally, Senator Schumer's majority leader gave the you know the sort of last words. And then he said, and with that, I asked for the yeas and nays, which is the formal way of asking who here will motion the vote. And it was at that point that every single member in the Senate who was there stood up to motion for it. And when they asked for a second, they all raised their hands. And then when they asked for the affirmative they all raised their hands and at that point every single person i was i mean when i say person there's about 80 of us 100 of us just bald. we lost it because it, i mean when i say everyone i mean i was looking back at vietnam veterans you know with marine corps whatever stuff the hardest is the hard people that you would never see shed tears every single person there was just in tears cuz the magnitude of it the realization that it's not just the 3.5 million, you know, burn pit victims from Iraq and Afghanistan, this covers every veteran who's been exposed to toxins going back to Vietnam. Mm. And, you know, we had this saying, we were, we were pulling fire for those who had died. We were pulling it for those who were dying. And most importantly, we were pulling it for those who would die if we did nothing. Mm. And to know in that moment that that those people now don't have to suffer what so many others did, that there's going to be help for them, right? That there's going to be the care awaiting for them, that no one else is ever going to have to mortgage their home again to care to get the care for the injuries that they, served, that they received in the line of, of duty. is just, it was overwhelming. And so they, you know, we've watched the, the vote actually went on for a really long time because they couldn't find Lindsey Graham it took him forever to, to get back to the floor and Senator Gillibrand at one point, um, you know, pulls out her phone. He, he calls her. And as she's walking off the floor of the Senate to talk to him, she goes, I'm trying to cover for you. Where are you? You're late. He gets, <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, like laugh. We, they finished the vote. We got, um we got out uh, and they basically told us we were all immediately being walked to a press conference outside. So we, we get ushered outside to this this press conference, and again, media circus, just I, I've never been on the opposite end of like all of those those cameras and everything. When it was all over, I pulled John was kind enough to take pictures. this is the thing about John Stewart is he took a photo with any and every single person who asked. He would do a video for anyone who asked you know, can you call my mom? Sure. Whatever. <laughs> you know, he, he, there was no ask of him that he was going to say no to. Right. So he somehow had managed to get the official roll call vote that the clerk of the Senate uses to tally as they're making their yeas and nays. And he was taking pictures with it, you know, for anyone who would who'd be interested. And I, of course, I walked to him and asked him, if I can take a photo. And then I, when the photo was done, I hugged him and I said, brother, I love you. I want to know, I hope you realize that it, it's not just about all the injured veterans that this is going to care for. Do you realize the children who now are going to potentially be born because their pa- families will have financial security and, you know, they could actually potentially have kids that they're going to have the resources to be able to provide for them going forward. I said, do you have any idea what those kids might go on to do? And then I looked at him and I got my one joke in with him. I said, they actually might fix this place. He smiled and he, smiling, <laughs> he walked away. I, Matt, I,
0: that was, that, that was, um, this is why I wanted you on the show. So you could take us through the TikTok, the play-by-play, the way it all went down because I've been a part of these fights on the inside and the outside. And I know you only know what it's like if you're really there. And this is the context that people can't see. I was live tweeting all of the votes when Rand Paul's ridiculous amendment came up to pay for this only if they cut international funding. Right. And then you had um, Senator Toomey with his gimmick. Um, that went down in flames. And then ultimately you had 11 people vote no. And I'm going to highlight this in the intro and I'm going to tweet it everywhere, which, which, you know, shatters the mind that, that, that this group of 11 people, it's the same. We always see it's Mike Lee and it's Toomey and now it's Mitt Romney, but 11 people voted no. And I think it's important that we had that high profile vote to make people stand up and be counted, but also to let people know we care. Right. And you talked about the kids. I think about myself and my exposures and I think about what am I going to do if I get sick in 10 years? How on earth would my kids and I ever pay for it? And, mm-hmm. and now I know that my kids will know that if I get sick, there's a place for me to go. And amazingly. The VA popped up a Pactac website like within an hour. It was the fastest turnaround I've ever seen in VA history. I hate, it that also, was
1: incredible. Yeah, <laughs> it yeah. really
0: was. It also shows you how easy it would be for them to change the motto, which is something that they also <laughs> need to do if they want to do, do the right thing. But let me ask you to to, and I want to you know go to the Afghan piece and the other pieces. But you know, we talk about independent Americans and how they are people who want. None of the above when it comes to the parties, mm. and there's you know the Andrew Yang thing that's now starting his party, but I've always said it's we don't want a party, we want a movement, right? Mm. We want change. and And I think yesterday was that kind of change because it didn't seem like anybody even knew if the vets were Republicans or Democrats or independents. They were all just united in, in
1: fighting for change. Right? I have no idea of all again, several hundred people came and stood Firewatch. I have no idea if they're Democrats or Republicans. We actually been the only time we ever talked politics was we wanted to be abundantly clear. Everyone there was like, I hate politics, but this isn't political. This isn't this is firewatch for accountability. We were determined not to let this be de- de- be declared a protest or a demonstration, right? This was again something we wanted right. the sentiment was that again, it was a movement. People didn't care right. about labels right. or identities. They but it
0: was, about- and I think this is important too it is political, it wasn't partisan. Right. Yes. like, Because it's a political process that, that that I think people are afraid to be involved in. And I keep saying this was the opposite of January 6th. This was peaceful. This was legal. This was respectful. This was diverse. This was unified. You know, I, I I wish Donald Trump was watching this on TV. I wish he wasn't watching the last one. But this is something everybody was watching on TV and could be supporting and encouraging. And I really think it gave people hope, man. I think it gave people hope. It also is a reflection of how fucked up our system is because it took that long and it never should have taken that long. And we knew that it would only happen if we got Jon Stewart and we knew it would only happen if the president talked about Bo Biden. So we said, you know, I said it last night on Twitter, this was for Bo Biden. This was for people like my friend Steve Robinson and my friend Mike Zakia and so many others that I know the names of and you know the names of that most Americans will never know about. But let me let me ask you about the other Uh, juxtaposition here. This is happening one year after the Afghanistan pullout. You were on the show one year ago this week to talk about the Afghanistan implosion, something you predicted, something you tried to prevent, and something you've been working on ever since. Um, After we won on Zadroga, the 9-11 bill, we immediately took that momentum and started the PAC Act, right? Now that we've got the PAC Act done, it feels like the Afghan... Um, the yeah. Afghan Assistance yeah. Act, Adjustment Act. Could, the Adjustment oh, Act, thank you, yeah. could be the next step. It feels like support for women, like changing the motto at the VA is the next step. Because now you've got this momentum, you've got this infrastructure, you've got new leaders that have been trained. So it's like, what's our next fight? And I know September is coming. I'm going to point people's eyes to this because we're going to come back in September. We got more shit to do. But specifically, one year later, tell us, how bad is it in Afghanistan right now? I've called it the Great American Betrayal of Afghanistan. They've had floods. They've had famine. They've had they've had war. And I do want to talk about Zawahiri separately. But but update, folks, if you can, on where is Afghanistan now and what needs to be done.
1: Afghanistan is probably the worst place on the planet to live right now. If you're a woman, full stop. Uh, you have. if you're a female, you absolutely have no rights. You cannot work. Uh, you can't leave the, your home without the escort of a male relative, and you're not allowed to leave the country without the permission of the government or a male relative. And the only two reasons why you're allowed to leave the country are either to perform the Hajj or seek medical treatment that's not available in Afghanistan. You know, on top of all of the, 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 the biblical calamities that they've had to endure uh, from nature uh they've got the the one of the most repressive evil governments on the planet, right uh that or I shouldn't even say governments, groups on the planet that is ruling over them. There is no functioning judicial system, right it's the the will of their violence as they see it that day. we didn't paul we didn't evacuate the people that we we should have. Uh, you know the, the the government in the united states likes to point to this figure of 130,000 people were evacuated well let's break that down of those 130,000 only 81,000 were afghans of the 81,000 who were afghans only 3,000 of them were sivs and those 3,000 were evacuated prior to august 15th to the fall of kabul they were they were evacuated you might recall um july of last year the government started uh, formerly the Operation Allies Refuge Program and were from July 17th to uh, August 15th were on average flying two planes out of Afghanistan a week. So 600 people a week basically were being flown from Afghanistan to the United States. Those were all SIVs. Everybody else, the, other, the remaining 78,000 people who got out, they were not SIVs. They were people either fortunate enough to make it onto the airfield or they were the CIA's paramilitary units called the zero units. Um, so, and what happened to the SIVs? Because you might recall a year ago, I was saying there's some 88,000 of them. Well, first off, turns out um, I, there's a lot more. Uh, Congress last year changed the eligibility requirements for SIVs. From two years of cumulative service alongside the US military down to one. And that one move functionally massively increased the available applicant pool. So the State Department finally copped to the extent of the problem last month. There are at current 160,000 left behind former interpreters in Afghanistan and their associated family members. When you realize that the historical average is that most interpreters arrive with a, a, a spouse and two to three kids, you multiply simply by four. What are uh, the historical average? What we learn is that there's about 297. It's not four. It's like 3.2. But anyway, if you multiply it. It's There's around 297,000 people that need to get out. Now, uh, the Association of Wartime Allies and now IAVA have been polling the left behind Afghan population and veterans to learn, you know, how are the Afghans faring? How are, are U S veterans faring with this whole experience? Uh, we just finished polling the, 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 so last week. So the, the results will be released. I'm giving you the exclusive kind of sneak peek here. Okay. But the results will formally be released uh, on the 15th of this month. And what I can share with you is that 40% of the SIVs that we were tracking prior to the 15th of August last year are no longer in communication with us. They're not here in the United States. They did not make it out. So either they have opted not to talk to us, which that normally doesn't happen, or they're dead. And we know that the Taliban have been conducting a brutal campaign to hunt down anyone who worked with the Americans or for the previous or for the legitimate Afghan government as like a security services person and kill them. We know that there's at least two mass graves in, in Kabul uh, in this prison complex called Polasharki that are inside the prison where they're buried, where they're burying the bodies. Uh, it's, you know, it says, again, this Taliban are just the same evil, horrific people as the Taliban who existed in the late 90s and in, on September 11th in 2001. The only difference is that they have inherited a rebuilt Afghanistan and one of the largest militaries in terms of equipment in Central Asia. The Taliban currently possess more helicopters than the nation of Australia. They have the one of the largest ground mobile interest, infantry forces because of all of the MRAPs and Humvees that they acquired, it, literally uh, on the Asian continent. Uh, you know, the one of the only larger militaries is, is, is China and Russia and India, right? And, and Pakistan, uh, or maybe the Iranians as well. Um, but the Taliban, I mean, there's nobody else who has that many Humvees or MRAPs anywhere else in the world other than the United States, right? So they, they are a very well-equipped force that has use those repressed that that force to create one of the most repressive violent uh and unfortunately impoverished places to live they don't provide functioning service
0: matt so you're painting a very vivid and effective and important picture of how bad it is because america's forgotten about afghanistan now right we have i've called it forgotistan. it's one year later That one-year anniversary will happen at the end of August when most folks are on vacation or getting ready to go back to school. We've now got the contrast of how quickly and effectively the U.S. government mobilized to support the Ukrainian population, and it it shouldn't be an either-or. But we do have a a comparison now.
1: I have to there. Sorry, yeah. To that, it's in the last year we have welcomed under ten thousand total Afghans who have been able to get out since the event. Okay. Since the Uniting for Ukraine program was announced in mid-April of this year, we have welcomed a hundred thousand Ukrainians. So, ten
0: x difference, right? And, and obviously, and obviously, a huge now. Now, money is no longer going to Afghanistan; it's going into Ukraine. Afghanistan has got this shell of a military that we created, so we basically, you know, created the army of Gilead for 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 the Taliban, and and most of the country is not paying attention. We're going to have the anniversary of 9-11 coming up, which will bring some attention back. And then this week, we had the very high-profile CIA uh killing of al-Zawahiri, who was, you know, the legacy to Osama bin Laden, the spirit animal and spiritual leader of, of the movement that was that spawned 9-11 and, and resulted in pro- probably every single attack related to the network since bin Laden and before bin Laden. They, they killed him with a drone on a balcony in Kabul, right? So he was in Kabul. Which shows also how bad Kabul has gotten is that, you know, one of the most wanted people in the world, the FBI had a twenty five million dollar bounty on his head. President Biden did, a, did an address from the Oval Office on the balcony to update everyone. This is, you know, this is a significant uh, military um, assassination. Right. It's a, it's a killing of a high profile leader. It's like a general to that network, but it's gone. It's already out of the media. Right. Like people can say, okay, they killed another Al Qaeda guy whose name I can't pronounce another bin Laden lieutenant whose name I can't pronounce. I'm glad he's dead as a 9-11 first responder. As an American, I think we're safe. We're some small bit safer and better because he's gone. But this is all upside down world now where, yes, we can kill from over the horizon. We don't have to have troops in the ground. You can send down a drone and take out a dude on a balcony when he goes for a smoke. But on the humanitarian and responsibility side, it's all gone. So this is a long winded way of asking you, Matt. The PACT Act is done. 9-11 is coming. You've now got a new fight. Congratulations, you won. Here's your reward. Another fight, right? But you've got the momentum and the wind behind you. And hopefully we can take all those folks from Jon Stewart to President Biden and shift them over. What's the no shit um, likelihood? of getting the Afghan Adjustment Act passed? And what do you think the legislative and political strategy is now to get that done?
1: I, I really believe we can get it done. I have talked to, you know, just yesterday, 20 members of the United States Senate as they stopped by Firewatch, because that became the thing, right? Stop right. by, see the vets, bring them water, whatever. And I would pull everyone aside and say, hey, are you tracking the Afghan Adjustment Act? And I didn't meet a single person who was not tracking it, and I didn't know some the person who is against it. And I talked to Republicans and Democrats. They understand the importance because th- this bill would fix the SIV program. There's a major flaw in the SIV program. Every single person applying for one of those visas, by law right now, is required to undergo an interview at the embassy in Kabul. There's no embassy in Kabul, and unfortunately, only Congress can fix that. It's not like the Secretary of State can just ignore the law. So this would fix it. It would allow Afghans to to undergo the interview at other embassies around the world, or even online in some sort of secure link. The other thing that it would do is all of the Afghans who got evacuated last year, who are not SIVs, were brought into the United States under something called humanitarian parole. And that's only good for a year. So it's about to expire at the end of this month. Now it could be renewed and they could renew it indefinitely, but you know, Paul. God forbid Stephen Miller any, gets near anywhere of the levers of power, or Trump gets back in office. These people will be deported before you can say the word Afghanistan, right? So, and then you know where they're going to be deported to—back to the Taliban to be killed. So, what needs to happen is this law has got to pass real soon. We're talking by the end of this calendar year, right? Uh, because there's no guarantee that the next Congress will have the demographic makeups politically to support this. Uh, and there's no guarantee that we'll have the political will going forward. Here's the problem. We've got identified in right now in the Senate four Republicans, four Democrats who want to co-sponsor and introduce this bill. Same thing in the House. Right. And the rule is one to one ad. Right. You confirm one, you get another. Yep. Yep. The biggest problem is the rules of the Senate currently allow for any individual senator to uphold a bill, to just hold it all up if they want to be a a jerk about it. And in this case, the supreme jerk of this problem is Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa. Simply put, the man does not like immigrants, doesn't like immigration, doesn't want these people here, doesn't believe they should have been brought here in the first place, would have no qualms about sending them back to where they came from. And as far as he is concerned, so long as he breathes and occupies his seat, he will not allow this bill to advance. It, we used to have an amazing ally and advocate. And, and you know, you want to talk, John Stewart was a, was a nuclear weapon. This is a thermonuclear weapon. Senator John McCain, he could put Senator Chuck Grassley back in his box. But Senator McCain is no longer with us. And I have yet to identify who is the one individual in the United States Senate who can make Senator Chuck Grassley understand that if we don't pass this bill, it's not just gonna be about putting these people's, you know, lives into legal jeopardy, right? It's not gonna be about the fact that, by the way, the federal immigration court system will collapse because overnight we're going to quintuple the caseload, right, because we're gonna drop 78,000 people into the the courts all at once. I mean, there's not enough judges, courtrooms or lawyers to cover them. No, no, no. This is going to hurt our national security going forward, because imagine the media's frenzy. If folks found out that most of the Afghans who got evacuated were then subsequently deported. How would any future ally ever trust us to take care of them if they were willing to put themselves in harm's way to help us with our mission?
0: Well, let's let me let me stop you there, Matt. First of all, again, thank you for that shaping of the landscape. So there is the Afghan Adjustment Act that needs to be reintroduced in the Senate, needs to be elevated, needs to be galvanized, needs a media frenzy, needs shitloads of shame. So the strategy, in my view, is take the playbook off the wall. We got the PAC Act done. We pick a date in August or September and we start the Firewatch again. You start the watch again. This has become like our bonus march in a box, right? <laughs> like yeah. the bonus march after World War I the yep. veterans came down to get their bonuses and it was terrible and bloody, but they were victorious in the end. And, and similarly, we have now been victorious in the PAC Act. So I don't think this needs to be overly complicated. We spin the same playbook back up. You ask every ally in the country that wants to be there. And if John Stewart's busy and Beyonce wants to show up, that's fine too. But I think this is not complicated and we've shown that we can win. I think that's a big takeaway here is don't fuck with the veterans community. We are maybe the most powerful political force and the most effective political force in the country. So I'm going to put it out there in the wild and say, I'll be there. This show will be there. It'll be a part of it. Let's not overcomplicate. It. Let's pull the fucking firewatch in September until we get it done. And we might have to pull two and stand outside the VA until they change the discriminatory motto that doesn't include women. So this is like, welcome to the new, you know, the new play call. Like this is Tom Brady calling the same slant over and over again, and we're going to keep calling it until they can stop it. So I think that's what folks should look forward to. And I also think it's a sign of hope. Like this is something we can all do. We can save lives. You can make a difference. Our politics are completely fucked up, but there is also a tremendous power in naming names. We Mm -hmm. made Pat Toomey famous. And and we're going to make Chuck Grassley famous, just like we made Tom Coburn famous. And we made Mike Lee famous. We're going to keep doing that until it's not necessary anymore. So I want to bring it back to maybe a a last question for you, Matt. And I hope you'll come back. I hope you'll keep us updated. Everybody should, of course, follow you on Twitter and everywhere else. Um, How do you feel about America? You've been up and down. You've been at the lowest betrayals of our government and you've been inside there. And I think sometime soon you and Jon Stewart and others will be at the White House for a signing ceremony with the president. Um, How do you feel about your country
1: right now? You know, I I've had a lot of worry for my country uh, these last couple of years and Had the Afghan EVAC and this movement around the PACT Act not happened, I would I would be probably at the bottom of the barrel. Right. In terms of my despair. But I got to tell you, Paul, as hokey as this is going to sound, I have tremendous hope. I don't have hope in our a lot of our elected leaders. Quite frankly, I think a number of them are at the point where they should probably go and enjoy their twilight years, whatever they have left. And let a new generation come and take the reins. You know, they seem to continue to think that this is an endless marathon. And they've forgetting it's a relay race. And part of being on a good relay team is knowing when to pass the baton, right? But man, the thing that gives me hope, the reason why I, I will at this point never say that this country is ever out of the fight is because of the American people. During the Afghan evac, people from all walks of life, all different persuasions to put all that aside and just there's a mission to be accomplished. It sounded impossible. Almost certainly was. And yet they worked without hierarchy, without authorities. They just came together. You keep always saying, I love this. When you say, look for the helpers, right? Man, Paul, all I do is I keep looking around and, and, and I know the media portrays America as one way kind of on fire and at each other's throats, I just spent the last week outside the Capitol where you want to talk. There's no more partisan political environment than there. And everyone I met wanted to get this done, was supportive of it, was encouraging. Didn't matter what part of the country they came from, what their creed was, what their background was. No, They came together because they thought that this was the right thing to do. And so I am I am, you know, I think we are going to get out of this. And I I don't think it. I know we will, because I know that the American people, when push comes to shove, come together and take care of each other. And this country is real special in that regards.
0: Um, and you are very special in that regard. And when we say look for the helpers, We mean you and to watch your work and your dynamism and your heart on display and and out there as a sacrifice. You know, on behalf of, of all of us, like, you know, many late nights I text you and we're talking and you're out working and you've been absolutely tireless. Um, And it's harder for you because you're not a celebrity or a pseudo celebrity. You are you are a motivated person that shows us what is possible. And I hope you are in the Senate one day. I hope you run for office one day. We need you out there. And I know independent Americans in particular will have your back. Um, But I just want you to know we appreciate you. We see you. We appreciate you. We love you. We're grateful for you. And, and this episode in particular and your journey is a teachable moment for all of us, uh, but also an inspiration to our kids about, about what's possible. So I'm grateful for you. I hope you'll stick around for a couple of quick fire Patreon questions. I want to ask you about the dot your Dodgers and maybe some TV and some other stuff. Um, But until then, my friend, I hope you get some rest. Enjoy the air conditioning. And I look forward to joining you for many, many, many cold beverages sometime soon.
1: Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me. Stay vigilant, my friend.
0: There you have it. Matt Zeller is the real deal. He's the kind of person we need in Washington, not just on the steps outside the Senate, but hopefully one day serving inside of it be sure to check out his book and be sure to follow him on social media and support everything he does it'll all be linked in the show notes for this episode matt zeller is a guy that's out there doing the right thing every day and he's definitely a helper always look for the helpers there will always be helpers you know even just on the sidelines because if you look for the helpers
1: you'll know that there's hope
0: the helpers are out there. Use the hashtag look for the helpers on Twitter and on social media and share yours. I've been seeing them. They've been great. Keep them coming. I will retweet them. I will share them and I will talk about them on this show. And while you're on social media, play guest the guest with me every Wednesday night. Look for the hashtag guest to guest or find me and independent Americans on every social media platform and you can be a champion. Lots of you got Senator Tester last week. Now, I think it was kind of an easy one because the Johnny United's flat top haircut kind of gave it away. But many of you got it, and I thank you for playing. And I encourage you to also be a champion and go to independentamericans.us, our website. You can see video of my conversation with Matt Zeller from this episode there. You can see show notes and lots of other resources and recent episodes with Senator John Tester and others. I've also been doing lots of media hits lately. I was on Morning Joe with Jon Stewart and a friend of this show, Willie Geist. I was on MSNBC's Deadline White House with Nicole Wallace a few times. I was on The 11th Hour, also on MSNBC, with our friend of the show, Stephanie Rule. I was also on News Nation a few times, which recently hired our friend Chris Cuomo. All of those media hits are on the website, along with past episodes with Willie Geist, Stephanie Rule, Chris Cuomo, and more. That's all at independentamericans.us. Go check it out. You can also support this show by joining our Patreon community the vigilant people who are continuing to keep this content coming. Big shout out to all of our Patreon members, and especially our newest members, Richard Watkins and David Quartel. Richard, David, welcome to the crew. Thank you for joining us. You can also get the gear. We have some very good Independent Americans gear. We got hats. We got cool shirts. You can be a champion and get your own at independentamericans.us. This show and Righteous Media are going to continue to bring you the five eyes in all our podcasts, in our merchandise, in our social media, and in everything we do. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. So please be sure to subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts and every other platform. It's brought to you by the mighty Righteous Media team that's full of champions, creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, and precise Paula Hernandez. More champions that make this show possible are my wife and my two boys. And I'm celebrating something else this week. We are finally COVID-free. Hooray! That was fun, but it's over. We are COVID-negative, and we are back out in the world. And last week, we went to Halloween in July at a minor league ballpark. We went to see the Hudson Valley Renegades, a single-A affiliate of the New York Yankees, play against the Brooklyn Cyclones, the single-A affiliate for the Mets. It was a fantastic, fun summer family experience. Affordable seats, good beer, great summer weather, all kinds of antics on the field between innings. Rascal the raccoon was the mascot. My one son dressed like Tigger, wore the full Tigger outfit, 90-degree heat and all, and my little guy wore the Winnie the Pooh hat. And they roamed around the stadium and went trick-or-treating. It was pretty awesome. I went as a tired, exhausted father. But it was complete with fireworks at the end. And it really had everything you could ask for for a family experience, except one thing Chaco Tacos. There were no Chaco Tacos. My son and I went to get ice cream. He wanted to get a frozen ice cream, he wanted one from the ice cream man. And there was a little booth over there. And we walked over. And as we walked over on the Chaco Tacos sign, it sadly said sold out forever. So there are no more Chaco Tacos. But the fight goes on. My son chose a Spider-Man ice cream instead, and I went and got another beer. But the fight to save Choco Tacos is on, including at your local minor league ballpark. And minor league baseball in America, man, there's nothing like it. Highly recommended. So go Renegades and go Yanks. Aaron Judge is making baseball really fun again. And I talked to Matt Zeller about that and more in our extra content for our Patreon members. So if you're a Patreon member, that is coming your way. Whether you're a Yankees fan or you're a Mets fan or you're a grieving Nationals fan or you're a celebrating Padres fan, America is more divided than ever. But we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to change that. With your help, we are adding light to contrast the heat of all the other political shows. And if you're among the 42% of Americans who are independent, I don't care what baseball team you root for, this is your show and we will be your champion. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, but you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. Join our team. And if you're a concerned person who cares about the future of your country, this is your show. You're all welcome. We all invite you to be a part of this show, be a part of the movement, and be a part of the solution. And thanks to you, we've got some big news. We hit number 28 on the Chartable.com top political podcast in America, number 28. So this show is also winning, number 28 in America, not bad. And it's even better when you realize that we are too ahead of the verdict with Ted Cruz. So again, we win and Ted Cruz loses. But he's not the only one. This show is beating shows from the left and the right. We're beating Ari Melber's The Beat from MSNBC. We're beating Republican Congressman Dan Crenshaw's podcast, and we're beating the five from Fox News. Independent Americans aren't just nice and cool. We also win. So we're number 28 and climbing. So tell your friends and subscribe because the movement of independent Americans continues to grow. And we've got a very big guest coming up in the next episode. You're going to have to tune in to hear who it is. And we've got more coming including John Stewart himself. He has promised to come on this show, and maybe I can get him to announce he's running for president and get him to sound off on Chaco Tacos, but he will join us. So if you haven't already, subscribe for free and join us. We will help you stay informed, and we will help you stay vigilant. And you can check out all the other Righteous Media podcasts, including the Firefighters with Rob Serra and B-Dorm with Jericho Turner and Don Ellivert. Subscribe to all of them for free wherever you get this pod and check out Righteous.us anytime. Together, we can be a team and keep sharing the hope. Because hope is the oxygen of democracy. We really saw that this week. Because seeing people win gives everybody hope. And this week, we all won.
1: All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough.
0: And wins create more wins. Wins create momentum. Wins spread hope. Much faster even than the stupid. And today, all across America, with the PAC Act passing and soon to be signed into law, there is hope. And we all should feel a bit like Winners. Except for Senator Pat Toomey and the 10 others. They're still losers. But the good guys and gals won. Veterans won. Independent Americans won. America won. And hope won. And if we stick together, stay focused, and put the team first, we can keep on winning. Every dynasty has to start with one historic victory. And on Monday at the White House, it won't be a Super Bowl champion team or a group of Olympic medalists, or World Series winners. It'll be veterans and allies, the real America's team. And it will be a victory we can all celebrate and we can all share. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And no, you are not alone in your vigilance. We are all vigilant. And we're all in this together because America is truly a team game. From the burn pits of Iraq and Afghanistan, to the hospital rooms across America, to the steps of the Capitol, to the floor of the Senate, to inside the White House, we are all in this together. From chairman of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, Democrat Senator John Tester, to ranking member, Republican Jerry Moran. From Freddie Mercury and Queen to DJ Khaled and T-Pain. From Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, to Rosie and Leroy Torres, from Joe Biden, to Bo Biden, to Matt Zeller, to you. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening. Down with Putin, Slava Ukraine. Enjoy this victory, and let it soak in. And stay vigilant, America.
1: And they stayed in!
0: by Righteous Media.